stop it. In fact, the, the Welsh revival that he's speaking of uh, came to the shores of America. One of the places it greatly affected was Wilkes-Barre. And uh, history tells us that there was a church right here in Wilkes-Barre. And I don't have the statistics with me, but I believe it was 120-some people got converted either in one day or one week in a little church right here in this city um, around 100 years ago. God wants to send a powerful revival, and the way that he does that is he begins to stir people to prayer. We, we, cannot, we cannot work up revival. We cannot make revival happen. In fact, one of the things God wants to do is make people sick and tired of fake revival of just pure emotionalism let's get the preacher he gets up there he's all fired up get the crowd into a frenzy and everyone just leaves exactly the same exactly the same uh, leonard ravenhill talks about this is back in 1991 about million dollar campaigns with with all sorts of people filling up stadiums to hear the gospel preached, and yet he said the city remains unaffected and unmoved. We have not seen a, a genuine revival in America in some time. And it's going to come as God calls a person here and a person there all of a sudden to intercessory prayer, to an overwhelming burden, to an overwhelming desire of I've got to pray, I've got to pray. Demonic uh, strongholds need to be broken. Hard, sinful hearts need to be broken and open before the Lord. And only as God begins to move in the hearts of people, and oftentimes young people, gives them a passion to pray, all of a sudden the church becomes full without needing a lot of tactics that are simply based upon human ingenuity. And people say, I've heard about there's a prayer meeting. I've heard that there's a Sunday morning service. And they just automatically come because God is so working in their heart. The deep conviction that we've been talking about in the last number of weeks, repentance and belief, genuine, heartfelt, deep repentance that is accompanied with emotions. But it's genuine. It's genuine. And that's what we're asking the Lord for, that he would do something powerful. I don't know about you, but I, I'm tired of just saying, Lord, we, we, wanna, we, we want revival. I want, I want to see revival in our day. I want, I want people to come to Christ in, in mass, where there are many, many, many people, as John was even just talking about a moment ago, people crying out to God in the bars because of the conviction of the Holy Spirit, people crying out in the streets, coming into the church. And that can happen, and may he lay upon our hearts over and over again a passion, a passion for prayer. God, that you would move. God, that you would move. And he moves through uh, people whom he calls, and that's exactly what we're going to be talking about here this morning, is the call of leaders within the kingdom of God. And uh, I'd like you just to pray with me for a second as we open this up. Father, we ask you that you would give us a divine understanding 
We pray, O oh Lord, that we would leave this service with a new burden, a new awareness of the presence of the Holy Spirit in our own lives. God, we ask you that you would give us hearts of prayer. Lord, I pray for miracles to take place right now in hearts, in, in all of our hearts, that we would be drawn to you like never before, that you would light a holy passion for the things of Christ. Lord, we need you. We ask you that you would come in power. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus has been talking about in Mark chapter 1, the kingdom of God. He says the kingdom of God is at hand, synonymous with the kingdom of heaven. Same thing. He says the kingdom of God has come crashing in among you. And he's been talking about that in the last couple verses we saw this past week. And now we get to leaders within the kingdom. And he begins to call people whom he is going to designate as leaders within this realm of his rule and his reign. And this is the text we get to here in Mark chapter 1. So if you'd like to open your Bibles here. Christ is uh, calling specific men. Christ is calling specific men who will know him deeply, who will walk with him physically, who will write much of the New Testament. In fact, we have in the New Testament the writing of uh, the apostles. We have the, the writing of those who walked uh, closely with him or associates of the apostles. He's going to call men who are going to become the foundation of the church itself, according to Ephesians chapter 2. He's going to call people with a special function and a special role within the kingdom of God. And it's interesting who he calls. And it's interesting how he does it. It says in verse 16, passing alongside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in the boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee, in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Now, we would be mistaken if what we think that is being taught here is that what Christ is calling every person whom he calls into himself, he's calling every person to simply leave their occupation and their job. And that if someone is really spiritual, and someone really wants to follow Jesus Christ, that what they'll do is they'll sell their house, they'll give up their car, and they'll just simply follow Christ. This is, this is for those who really, really want to follow Christ in the elite fashion. This is for the spiritual Christians. The regular Christians, they might keep their jobs and they might be at home in their homes and keep their homes. But the true Christians, those who are truly dedicated, are those who actually sell everything and give everything up. And if we think that's what this is teaching, teaching we would be uh, sadly mistaken. 
because that's not the emphasis of what is being taught here. In fact, uh, the Lord calls many people unto himself who he wants to stay exactly where they are. He wants them to stay in the home that they have. He wants them to stay in the job that they are currently in. And sometimes within the church, we have set up this, this notion that says, listen, if you really want to follow Christ, you'll do exactly what's going on here. Now, we understand that there are principles for discipleship here that we need to understand and that will be taught through this gospel. And we understand that any disciple that is a follower of Jesus, someone who has been truly converted, is a person who says, Lord, I'm willing to give up everything to follow you. We understand that, that that's not just for these disciples, that's for every disciple. And there is a calling within our lives to say, Lord, uh, when we come to you, Lord, the house is yours. You own the house. God, if you want me to move, if that's what you want me to do, if you want me to go across the world, God, then I will, I will go. If you say go, we will, we will go. Lord, if you want me to sell some cars or a car, or if you want me to give some things up, or you want me to move to a different neighborhood, whatever the case may be, Lord, I'll, I'll, I'll go. And sometimes there's a resistance within people's spirits. They come to Christ and they say, yes, Lord, I want to be forgiven of my sins, but Lord, I've got to hold back certain things within my life. And we understand that the call to being a Christian, the call to discipleship is one of absolute surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, saying, Lord, I'm willing. I'm willing. Lord, if, if you want me to do this, then I'll do it. And perhaps there are people in this room, you are sensing the call of God in your life to something. The Lord is putting his finger on something in your heart. It may be something like, I'm just calling you to a new, fresh awakening in a ministry of prayer. Uh, being a person of prayer, and he's calling you to that, or Perhaps he is calling you to give something up. Perhaps it's financially, and you say, there are things I'm holding on to that I could use to bless ministries around the world. And he's calling you to that. But in this text, what we have primarily is a calling to leadership within the kingdom. And God most definitely and certainly does call specific leaders to actually lead within his church and in a larger sense as we've been talking about within the kingdom of God. There's a call, there's a call. I want you to look with me here at this text. And Jesus here is passing alongside in verse 16, he's passing along the Sea of Galilee. This is a, this is a freshwater lake. This is not a sea as we would maybe think of a sea with, uh, with salt water. But it's a rather large lake. It's known for its storms and its squalls. This is up in, uh, in, in Galilee. It's approximately 14 miles long. It's about six miles wide, and even though it's wider at certain points. 682 feet below sea level. And during this time, this, this place had uh, become a place of great industry for fishing. And so there were all sorts of people around the Sea of Galilee who made their livelihood, who made their income by fishing. 
And Jesus is passing along this. He is now in this region of Galilee. He's passing along the Sea of Galilee. It's also called Lake Gennesaret in Luke chapter 5, verse 1. It's also called the lake or the Sea of Kinnereth in, in Numbers chapter 34, verse 11. And it's also called the Sea of Tiberias. So it has, it has various names. But he's passing alongside this, this sea and he's looking at what's going on. There's different towns along this, this lake. There are people who are fishing. And wherever Jesus passes, it's intentional. He's not just happening to pass by without the providence of God. There is something, there is a plan that is definitely going on here. And the scripture says he sees Simon, uh, which uh, his name is Simeon in Hebrew. And in our text here, it's Simon, Simeon, it's the same thing. And Andrew, the brother of Simon, so these guys are brothers and they're casting their net into the sea so they're fishing on this freshwater lake and they have this net it's a circular net probably about 20 feet across 20 feet in diameter it has lead weights on the end of it and they would cast this net out into the lake in this flat fashion and this circled net would land upon the lake and as the net began to sink, the lead weights, the weights would come together, and as the net would sink, it would trap the fish within the net, and it would catch the fish, and of course, then they would, they would pull it to themselves. And they are fishermen, and so this is, this is their livelihood, this is their occupation. But this is not the first time that Jesus has run into these guys. This is not the first time that he's going to interact with them. In fact, they've been a part of his ministry in the past, but this is the time where he is going to call them to full-time gospel ministry. So he has interacted with them in the past. They have been disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ, but now as he is calling them, he is saying, look, the call is more purposeful now. I'm calling you away from your occupation. I'm calling you away from your job, and I'm calling you unto myself. If you go to John chapter 1, John chapter 1, this is where we see their first interaction in John, the first chapter. John chapter 1, John chapter 1, and John chapter 1, verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with his, with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold the Lamb of God. So John the Baptist is saying, Here's the Lamb of God. We've talked about John the Baptist in the past. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. 
He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, So you are Simon, or Simeon, the the son of John. You shall be called Cephas. Cephas in the Aramaic means rock, which means Peter in the Greek. And so Jesus is changing his name here, and he's saying, Listen, uh, you've been called uh, you've been called Peter. You've been called Simon, but I'm going to call you a rock, and we're going to see in the future exactly all that that entails. So this is their first encounter with the calling of Christ. But when we come to Mark chapter one, this is the second time that Christ officially calls them, and he is calling them not simply to be Christians, not simply to just follow him as following the Lord Jesus Christ, but he is calling them to be leaders within the kingdom of God. There is a specific call to gospel ministry. Not everybody is called into uh, being apostle in this case, or to being a gospel minister. Uh, There are people who have said something along the lines of, listen, as long as you're a godly person, you have the attributes and the characteristics that are listed in 1 Timothy and 2 Timothy and Titus, the pastoral epistles, that as long as you have these characteristics, then you simply, as long as you're faithful, as long as you're a godly man, then all that you need to do, as long as you have a little bit of a gift to teach, you can at least teach somewhat, preach a little bit, at least maybe teach in in some kind of personal setting, that you can be called into the ministry, into the gospel ministry. I remember uh, some time ago I was listening to uh, Erwin Lutzer, and he was talking about uh, ministers being called. And that's what's going on here in our text. And he said something to the effect of, he said, I'm old-fashioned. He said, but I believe that ministers or leaders within the kingdom of God actually have to have a call on their life to do exactly what they're going to do. In other words, it's not just saying, well, this is a godly guy. Let's all just vote him in or this seems to be an okay guy and he loves the Lord. Listen, there are many people who love Jesus Christ with all of their heart, godly men, who are not called into the gospel ministry not called into full-time ministry. In fact, one of the things that I have uh, seen in in, uh, my years in ministry and going all the way back to Bible school is there would be people who would get all fired up in a youth group. They'd have a youth pastor. and Someone who's 16 or 17 years old would come in, would get radically saved for Jesus Christ, and the youth minister would go up to that guy and would say, you know what, you've gotten saved. Maybe God's got a call in your life to go into the, into the ministry, into gospel ministry, into preaching and teaching the gospel. And there are many people who have seen the ministry as something that's glamorous. They see preachers on TV or they see preachers on the internet and they think, if only I could be like them, if I could be in charge, if I could be someone who's up in front and everybody's looking at them and there's this popularity to it and there's this glamour to the whole thing. Listen very carefully. There have been many men who have gone into Bible school who did not have the call of God on their life for public ministry, for gospel teaching and preaching. 
There are men of God who are even pastoring churches right now who have gone through and gotten certain certificates and certain uh, degrees and, and so on and so forth, and they get into something that they have never really actually been called by God to do. Listen very carefully. If someone is going to be called into the ministry, they must be called by God himself to do what they're doing. There is a calling. There is a, there, there is a time in a person's life where they're just going along, they're serving Jesus, and yes, they must have those characteristics. Yes, they must have those qualities that, that we're talking about. But they're going along in life, and God says, and he puts his finger, and he says, I want you, I want you to be a minister of the gospel. There have been many men uh, who have said this in different ways. We must agree, but listen, if you could be happy working as a manager somewhere and that would fulfill what your desire is, is to do, praise the Lord, do it. Don't get into the ministry. If you feel like, you know what, I could really serve my country by becoming a soldier or I could, I could do better in my life by becoming a doctor or I could become a lawyer, or I, I just, I'm happy becoming, you know what, my dream has always been, it's odd, but my dream has always been, been to be someone who just collects trash and goes around the city. Praise the Lord. One of the things that the Reformation did, in fact, it was one of the, the primary doctrines that was brought back to the forefront of the church, is that everything in life that we do is sacred. And if you're called to make donuts, make donuts. Don't feel like you are inferior. Don't try to get into the ministry because you need an identity of trying to be somebody. In fact, let me tell you this. If someone is called to gospel ministry, you're not going to be able to stop them because they've been called by whom? They've been called by God. And what we need to have in our minds and what we need to have in our understanding is that everything we do, everything we do is precious. You know what we need more in the church of? We need more godly politicians. We need more godly businessmen. We, we, need, we need more godly mothers and, and, and women who can do all sorts of things for the glory of God. But you know what we need less of? We need less of people just saying, listen, if you want to be really spiritual, if you want to be really spiritual, you've got to be a pastor or a missionary or in some kind of ministry that will give you some kind of value or some kind of worth. What if God's calling you to do music? And that's the calling he's calling you to do. What if he's calling you to teach? Aren't you glad for those who have said we're going to teach? What if... What if everybody said, you know what, if we're going to do everything for God's glory and the only thing we can do for his glory is get into ministry, how many things would be neglected? I was recently listening to someone who was saying that many of the finest hospitals, many of the countries who have really understood uh, commerce and economics, are those who have gotten a hold of this doctrine of vocation that says 
everything you do to the glory of God in any vocation is special. But God does call ministers. He does. And he puts a special calling on their life to do exactly what they are called to do. I love what Charles Spurgeon says. Listen to what he says. He says this, nor need any imagine that such calls are mere delusion. So some people say, well, that call of God is just a delusion. He says, no, it's not a delusion. And that none in this age are separated for the peculiar work of teaching and overseeing the church. For the very names given to ministers in the New Testament imply a previous call to their work. He says that the call of God is very clear in the scripture. Even the words that are used imply a calling in the New Testament. The apostle says, now that we are ambassadors for God, but does not the very soul of the ambassadorial office lie in the appointment which is made by the monarch represented? An ambassador unsent would be a laughingstock. So the first thing he says here is he says, God is telling us in this text there's a calling, there's a call to gospel ministry. I want to look at just a few verses here. If you go to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, Galatians, Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. The scripture says this, God's word says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. It's God's giving. It's God's calling. There are specific people called into these roles. Acts chapter 20, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. And pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock, in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. You see it there? Who makes pastors? Who makes teachers? Who makes apostles? It's the Holy Spirit to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. If you go back to Jeremiah chapter 3, Jeremiah chapter 3. And this is in the Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15. Jeremiah 3, verse 15. He says this, and I will give you shepherds. I will give you. I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. So there's a call. There's a call to specific men for gospel ministry. Notice what Jesus says in verse 17 of our text, Mark chapter 1. He says, follow me. Follow me. Here's the essence of the call. It's to follow Christ. You know who he calls people to? He calls them to himself. Any minister who has been called by God 
is someone who understands the fact that he has been primarily called to know Jesus. If you see a minister and he does not have any love for Christ, if he's not passionate about Jesus first, he's no minister. The call here is not just a call to go do something. Jesus isn't saying, okay, now I'm calling you. Let me just give you a list here of things that you need to accomplish in A, B, C, D, E. And he just goes through this list. He says, here, here's what I'm first of all calling you to. I'm calling you to walk with me. I want you to see me. I want you to see me in action with the miracles that Jesus is about to perform, the teaching, so that as they're writing later, and even this gospel that we're reading here, it's, by Mark, but it's influenced by Peter, one of the people that we are seeing here in our text. I want you to have the miracles that I've done. I want you to have the teaching that I have given ringing in your ears. And if there's anything that a minister is to do, it's a minister is to be in love with Jesus. He's to know him intimately. He's to care about him. He's to walk with him. He's to hear from him. It's a call to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, follow me. And then he says this, and I will make you, I'll make you become fishers of men. Jesus is saying, lay down your nets, man. Lay down your nets. The time has come now where I am calling you instead of fishing for fish, I am calling you to fish for men. I'm going to make you men who care about people, who care about their eternal destiny, who care about their souls. A pastor doesn't just care, an apostle doesn't just care, a leader doesn't just care about walking intimately with Christ, but that love walk that he has with Christ flows over and spills over into a care of souls, of seeing people come into the kingdom of heaven. There might be an allusion here to Jeremiah 16, 16. So if you go back there to Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 16. The scripture says, Behold, I am sending many fishers. This is uh, people who are called to bring the Israelites out of exile. But Jesus could have been alluding to this. Behold, I am sending for many fishers, declares the Lord. And they shall catch them. And so Jesus says here, it's nothing new. Other people have used this exact phraseology. But he says, I'm going to make you fishers of men. You know, one of the things that's interesting about thinking about fishers of, of men is that when that net is cast, first of all, it catches all different kinds of fish. And thinking about the, the fact that these apostles would not just be called to spread the gospel only to the Israelites, but also to people of various kinds, just like a net catches all sorts of different fish. You think about that net as it's dropped, as it is trapping and catching different fish. Really, there's a call to die. Because in each one of those cases, as that fish comes up out of the water, if it's a good fish, it's a call to be killed and to give up its life. And really the calling for any preacher is a calling to people to die to themselves. 
In fact, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and through 10 talks about us being dead in our sins, but after we've been raised to newness of life in Christ, we continue to die to that flesh. And so as Peter is being called, as uh, Andrew, his brother, is being called, they're being called to Christ, and they're being called to have a passion for people to come to Christ as fishers of men. And there would be a cost. They'd have to give up their livelihood. They'd have to give up their occupation. Let's keep reading verse 18, Mark chapter 1. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, so this is another set of brothers, who were in their boat mending the nets, um, preparing them. And he immediately called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So we have the cost. We have the cost of following Christ. One is called here, these, these four fishermen who perhaps were in business together, we don't know. They're called to leave their occupation, and they're also called to leave their families behind. There's nothing ruthless, there's nothing rude going on here. In fact, the Bible says here that James and John, the sons of thunder, left their father in the boat with the hired servants. There's a sense there, there's a softening there. It wasn't just that they were leaving dad isolated and alone. In fact, there must have been a family consensus later on that things were okay because we even see James and John's mother involved in the ministry of Christ. If you go over to Matthew chapter 27, Matthew chapter 27, Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. Verse 55 says, There were also many women there, looking on from a distance, who had followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering to him, among who were Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, and, here it is, and the mother of the sons of Zebedee. So she's involved in the ministry. You have the, the father here, they're leaving the father, but later we see the mother's very clearly involved in the ministry of Christ. They agreed to it. In fact, they must have come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ was himself. But there's a cost here. And any time someone is really called into leadership and into the ministry of the gospel, there's a giving up of certain things. There's a giving up of things that are comfortable and familiar and saying, Lord, I'm going to follow you wherever you take me. And by the way, that application is to all of us, isn't it? Because there are going to be places God is going to call you that you're not expecting. There are going to be situations that he's calling you to and you're going, I, I wasn't expecting this. But he's calling you to leave certain things behind so that you can follow Christ wholeheartedly. Notice what Peter says in Matthew 19. Matthew 19, verse 27. Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. Then Peter, Matthew 19, verse 27, said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. 
what then will we have? There's a sense of, God, we, we, we have followed you. We have given up houses. We have given up lands. We have given up family members and the comforts of familiar surroundings. God, we've, we've given it all up. Can I ask you a question as we um, think about this this morning? What are the things in your life that have cost you something to give up for the name of Christ? Has it cost you something? Or do you say, well, I've, I've kind of come to Christ and everything seems pretty comfortable and everything's okay and there's really nothing, everything's just fine? And God is saying, but I'm calling you to this. And you're going, yeah, but that's uncomfortable. That's something that I don't want to do. And God is saying, come, come. In fact, lastly, we see the response. Notice this. Verse 20. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. The response was immediate. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. They had known him. Peter and Andrew had known him before. His name had been getting out. And Jesus comes walking by and he says, I'm going to call you to something. Calling you to something that's unknown. Follow me. Never forget, and I close with this, I was sitting in uh, the basics conference in uh, 2012 so this is going back a couple of years and I remember just praying to the Lord because even as a pastor there are times when God continually calls you to things that are new and uncomfortable and there's distractions and if you think that pastors are immune to these kind of things You'd be sadly mistaken. But I remember toward the uh, end of uh, the chapter of John chapter 21, as I was uh, thinking about this and just going and praying through certain things in my mind, Jesus in, in John chapter 21, verse 22 says this. He's talking to Peter. And uh, Peter's asking him, he's saying, Lord, what about this other disciple? What about John? And when Peter saw him in verse 21, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And perhaps you've been uh, sitting there and you're going, Lord, there's all these distractions. There's all these different things going on in my life. And Jesus said to him, and this was the verse that the Lord just dropped in my spirit in John chapter 21. And Jesus said, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Now here's the next three words that just dropped in my spirit. You follow me. You follow me. This is the call of God. There's all sorts of things that are going around and Jesus is saying, look, get your mind off of all the things that are going on all around you and focus back on my call on your life and focus back on what I'm doing in your life. That's all you need to worry about. You follow me. 
And perhaps you're sitting here today and you're going, there's all these things going on in my life. There's, there's this, there's that. I don't know where to go. I'm, I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. And Jesus is saying, listen, he's saying to you this morning, he's saying this, train your eyes on him. You, you follow him and everything else will take care of itself. You simply lay it down and you follow him. That's his word to us this morning. And because of men like this who said, yes, Lord, we'll give up houses, we'll give up lands. You and I today have the gospel and today he's still calling people out. He's calling people to gospel ministry and he's calling people to all sorts of different things. The question is, what is he doing in your life? And are you saying with an immediate, an immediate response, yes, Lord, yes, Lord, immediately, yes, Lord, I'll follow you. Yes, Lord. Can we just say that together? Yes, Lord. Yes, yes Lord. Let's say it again. Yes, Lord. What is he calling you today to do? What is he saying and putting his finger on and saying, this is my call in your life? Will you stand with me as we close?